So we've been talking for the last couple weeks about a heart for the holidays, learning to cultivate a heart that is going to keep us focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what we've said. We've said that Christmas is that season where you and I focus and appreciate the fact that the God of all creation took on human flesh and lived among us. And of all the things that Jesus did, here's the one thing that that created for you and I. The ability to experience the presence of God with us. Everywhere we go, at all moments of our life, whether they seem good in our eyes or bad, light or dark, with family or single and apart, we can experience the presence of God in our life at all times. Because of not just the birth of Jesus, but the salvation of Jesus that was accomplished on the cross for us. And every single one of us who will approach him by faith have our sins forgiven. We can know that constant presence of God with us throughout our lives. And wouldn't it be a tragedy for us to be celebrating the presence of God among us in the coming of Jesus and yet be so busy with the activities of celebrating his coming that we leave this month further from Jesus than we actually were when we started. That'd be a tragedy, I think. And so we have to guard ourselves because this is such a busy season. Tonight I have my third Christmas party in three nights. You probably feel the exact same way sometimes during this season. If you're not running from an event to an event, then you're trying to check off that Christmas list of gifts. You're trying to get things wrapped or get the house decorated. There's just so much going on. And they're great things. I love this time of year. Last night, I got to catch up, or Friday night, I got to catch up with some people that I haven't seen, not since last Christmas party, which we didn't have last year. You guys remember that? Like, it was two years ago. There were people I got to sit down and have a conversation with and share life with that I haven't seen for two years years i love those things those are amazing opportunities for us but we can't let those opportunities take our focus off of jesus during this time so we have to guard our hearts we have to have a heart for the holidays and we talked about three attitudes that are going to protect our heart for the holiday and the first is this heart of giving right this heart in which we understand it's better to give than it is to receive we talked about internalizing that we talked about training that and teaching that within our children our families our communities and then modeling that for the world around us because modeling that becomes this stark contrast to what we see in our culture right now we have a chance to demonstrate something different than the constant gathering of things and the getting of things we get a chance to demonstrate what it means to give and to bless others then last week we talked about a heart of gratitude just being thankful for all that has been given to us, all the Lord's done for us, the fact that we have family members around us, the fact that we were even able to get out of bed this morning and come and worship in this place together. What a wonderful gift we've been given. So many more than we can ever understand. And this morning, we want to talk about learning to allow the Holy Spirit to develop in us a heart of contentment. A heart of contentment. It's hard enough to be a content person and live in America. That's hard enough. It just accelerates in the Christmas season, right? 
because we have so many things that flash in front of us. We have so many opportunities. We have so much that is flustered onto us, and we have to be people who make decisions if we're going to live a contentedness and not be constantly after more and more, more things, more opportunity, more advancement, whatever else it is. We have to be careful that ambition and the desire for more and more don't overwhelm our life. It almost feels like in this country that if you're not constantly chasing after the next thing, that there's something wrong with you. Do you ever feel that way? It's hard to to feel like you can just take a rest, you can take a breath, you can be who you are, enjoy who you are, listen to the Lord, enjoy time with your family, just be. It's so hard just to be. But we want to be that contrast in our culture, don't we? So this morning, let's talk about contentment a little bit. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Again, we're going to start a little bit differently than we would traditionally start in a Christmas message, but I think it's important to lay that foundation for us. Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. This is one of the churches he planted during his second missionary journey. He goes into the city. He is looking for a place of prayer. He goes down to a river and he finds a group of faithful women who are praying women who were grounded in the jewish faith who are not yet believers in jesus but were gro- were grounded in that jewish background and he begins to talk with them and to pray to them and god gets a hold of a woman named lydia and lydia becomes that key into the city of philippi and the lord builds a great work there so when we get to the book of philippians what we find is that paul has already planted this church He is invested there. The Lord has brought new believers. Now he is writing back to that community to encourage them. And what's amazing about this community, of all the churches that Paul had planted, this seems to be the most mature community out of all of them. I mean, when Paul writes, they don't seem to have the the issues that uh, Corinth had. They don't seem to have the immaturity that was in Galatia. They have this real maturity about them where the gospel doesn't just take root, but it takes root with power. And they really grasp it and go after it. And Paul really seems to have this door of effectiveness in Philippi. And that is marked, we know that because a great persecution rises up in Philippi because of such effectiveness there as well. So he's writing back, and he wants to encourage them. And I want you to see Paul's heart for these folks, because here's what had happened. As Paul writes this, he's writing from what we would call house arrest. He was in prison in Rome. He was allowed to live in a home. Uh, A Roman soldier lived in that home with him at all times. He was waiting for a two-year period while he was waiting to go on trial for his faith. He had appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen that allowed him to go and have his case heard before the courts of caesar himself and he had to wait two years for that to happen but while he's there he's basically under house arrest people can come and talk with paul they can minister to paul he has all kinds of conversations with believers who are right there in rome he has a chance to preach the gospel what do you think it was like for that roman soldier who had to stay in that house 24 hours a day or that couple two or three that had to rotate in and in do you think they heard the gospel over those two years Oh, absolutely. I think Paul would be having those conversations, and then when the people would leave, he'd walk over and he'd say, what do you, what do you think about what we were talking about? What did you think about that? And one time, yeah, just leave me alone. And the next day, he'd say, hey, what do you think about that? What do you, what do you think about Christ? You've been here while we're talking about two and a half years. I bet these Roman soldiers had a good chance to hear the gospel and respond, didn't they? Paul seized that opportunity. And one of the things he did while he was in house arrest is he wrote some of these letters back to these churches he couldn't visit in person so philippians is one of those and colossians is one 
Philemon, if you have a chance to read that, is another. And the, the letter to the Ephesians. Those four letters are what we call his prison letters. Okay? And I want you to see what he says. He wants to make sure they understand how grateful he is because while he was under house arrest, they sent one of their own people named Epaphroditus. They send him all the way to Rome. He stays with Paul. He brings them some gifts from the Philippians. He brings them money so that Paul can support himself and have his needs met. And just to encourage him. And while he's there, uh, Epaphroditus gets sick and uh, almost dies, evidently, from whatever sickness he had there. But the Lord spares his life. He sends him back to the Philippians. And he actually sends this letter, most likely, with Epaphroditus on his way back. So here's what Paul says down in Philippians chapter 4. And I want you to pick up in verse 10. This is what he says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not in need saying this because, or I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Would you take your pen? I want to invite you to underline a part of this verse. It's key to what we're going to talk about today. I have learned to be content. Did you catch that? I have learned. It didn't just fall in my lap. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, who gives me strength. Anybody heard Philippians 4.13 before? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I remember growing up, uh, this was all over my walls in my youth room. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I remember it was in our locker room at school uh, to remind us that in this basketball game, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I, I remember quoting it as a young person again and again that the power of God enables me to do all things through Christ's strength. Here's the problem. I had no idea what the context of that verse was. Uh, Paul was not talking about that Jesus can help me uh, get through this basketball game. Uh, that's actually not what Paul was talking about. He wasn't talking about the Lord's ability to get me through my calculus test, although the Holy Spirit can absolutely do that. What's the context of what Paul is saying when he says... I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What's the context? I can learn to be content. Did you catch that? Whether I am well fed or I'm hungry. Whether I have plenty or I am in need. I can do all things through him who gives me strength, who strengthens me. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers me to do that. And Paul had that heart. Not only that, he modeled that heart to these churches that he had planted. Paul was a man who had been shipwrecked. Paul was a man who had been beaten in town after town. He was a man who preached the gospel and was thrown out of more cities than you can imagine. He routinely was persecuted everywhere he went. Almost every time the gospel caught fire somewhere and really spread in a city, it was followed by persecution. Paul knew those things. Now he's in a Roman prison waiting for a chance to hopefully preach the gospel in front of Caesar or in one of his officials so that he can have a chance to share the gospel in the highest courts of Rome. Two years under house arrest, and he was deeply, deeply content to be there. 
deeply content to be there because he knew who God had created him to be. He knew what God had gifted him with, and he saw the opportunities in front of him. And in God's power, he had learned to be content with those things. I think this same spirit of contentment pervades the Christmas story. And I want to share that to you this morning. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Flip to the left in your Bibles because I want you to see that contentment was not just part of Paul's ministry. It was what was required for the Christmas story to take place. So Luke gives us this account, one of Paul's traveling companions, Luke. He wrote not just this gospel, but he wrote the book of Acts, which, from which we get most of the narrative of Paul's life. Luke says he carefully investigated these things. He talked to believer after believer. And so Luke gives us details into things that no other gospel has, especially the Christmas story. There are things that Luke records nobody else has. So Luke tells us this about Mary. Luke chapter 1, down to verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord's with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words. And wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And you'll conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. Jesus is the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. So even in his name, you have this communication of what his life would accomplish for his people. You are to call him Jesus. Verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary? asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. What a critical bit of information to understand about how the Lord was able to bring Jesus into the world through a sinful woman like Mary. The Holy Spirit fell on her. It overshadowed her so that what was conceived in her would be God himself without any of the taint of Mary or her sinfulness. It was the Holy Spirit of God that overshadowed her to the place that Jesus could be born into the world through her. And I want to encourage you a little bit as I, as I talk with you guys. I love how you chase after the Lord in trying to push the gospel forward in our world. How you love talking to your families and you're, you're learning how to do that and you're struggling with that. And What's it like for me in my English class? What's it like for me on my soccer team? What's it like for me 
among my peers? What's it like for me uh, in my workplace to be able to represent Jesus well? And I'm trying, but I feel like I blow it. I feel like I'm a failure. I feel like I, I mess up more than I help Jesus. I feel like I get in his way more than I advance him. I, I feel like a complete total failure with it. I want to encourage you. The same word that was spoken over Mary, the same thing that happened to Mary, the Holy Spirit overwhelming her, so that the things born through her were holy and pure. The Holy Spirit has to do that in your life over and over again every day. And if he does not, listen to me, nothing good and holy and pure will ever be birthed through your life. Don't you ever think that because I'm a good person that the Lord can use you. No, he uses you because he's a good God. And he uses you by his grace. And he uses you by his power. And his power is what overcomes Joan Brown. It's what overcomes Mike Gardner. It's what overcomes Matt Walton. His power is what overshadows us day in and day out. Do you understand why you and I have to be tapped into his power every single day? Do you get it? Because it's bigger than us. It's bigger than us. It's the reputation of Jesus. It's the glory of God expanding in the world. We need the Holy Spirit of God to overwhelm my sarcasm, my anger, my frustration, my worldliness, or nothing good is going to be accomplished through you and me. But the promise is this. If he'll do it for Mary, he'll do it for you. He'll do it for you. He'll do it. Don't be afraid to try to serve the Lord even in your frailty. Jesus has got you. He's got you. Go serve the Lord. So Gabriel makes this promise. Verse 35, I'll back up again. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. What's your translation say? Some of you will say just that. For no word from God will ever fail. Who's got that in their translation? Some of you may have a translation that says, for nothing is impossible with God. Anybody have a translation like that? Okay. They're trying to express the same thing in English, which is this. If God says it, he will bring it to fulfillment. If God speaks into your life, I'm calling you and I'm empowering you and this is what I want you to do. Listen, it cannot fail under God's leadership. What your parents say about your future can't hinder what God wants to do through you. What your boss says about your abilities, listen to me. What your boss says about your abilities cannot hinder God's ability to use you. What your calculus teacher says about your abilities with math, praise the Lord, cannot hinder God's ability to use you. It's impossible. No word from God ever fails. Nothing is impossible with God. However you want to translate that verse, the same truth is always there. The story of Christmas is as relevant today as it is back then. It transforms everything for us. Verse 38, now get this. In response to everything Mary's just heard, you're going to be impregnated for the first time. You're going to carry a child to term. It's going to be a virgin birth, which has never happened in the history of the world. Right? I mean, we read this and we're like, oh, old hat. No, it's not. It's only happened one time, and we're reading about it. But up until that point, no one had heard of it before. 
And here's this probably late teenage girl that hears this. And your life is going to be radically changed. And listen to her response. Would this be yours? I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me fulfilled. Would that have been your answer? Would you be like, sign me up? You'd have had a few more questions. I would have. Where does that answer come from? It comes from contentment. Are you, are you with me? It comes from contentment. A contentment that says, I know the Lord. The Lord can be trusted. I do not understand, but I know him. I trust him. It comes from a contented heart. It comes from a contented place. Do you see how that heart of contentment that was alive in Paul was alive in Mary at that moment? And by the way, it was a heart that clearly built in Mary, and not just Mary, but in Joseph. Because we get to fast forward. The next time we check in on Mary and Joseph is at the birth, right? But ladies, right? There's a long time between conception and birth. There's nine and a half, ten months, right? So I want you to understand this. What was it like for Mary to live out what had just been promised? What was it like when she began to show, when her body began to change? What was it like to tell her parents the first time? What was it like to have to start staying indoors after a certain period of time because it was hard to hide the pregnancy anymore? What was it like to live out a day where you were not sure how your culture was going to respond to you? We don't understand the kind of pressure that she felt. She could have very easily been accused of being an adulteress, which have, could have at least marked her for life, right? And at worst, she could have been legally stoned to death for that. To live with that. And I know we like to read this story and we like to say, oh yeah, but Mary was Mary and the Holy Spirit was all over her. Listen, I guarantee for nine and a half months there were hard days bearing Jesus. There were hard conversations. There were people who looked the other way. There were people who walked the other way. There were times it got hard. How did she navigate it? It was a heart of contentment. It was a heart of contentment. She was content to do the Lord's will in difficult circumstances. And Joseph was the same. He was the same. Remember, Scripture tells us that she tells Joseph. And that Joseph decides, okay, I'm, I'm just going to put her away. I, I'm going to divorce her quietly. And he has to be convinced himself by an angel, right? An angel appears to him in a dream and says, no. What is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. Take her home to be your wife. And Joseph does. I mean, he went through the same danger, the same anxiety, the same conversations with family, the same ostracization at times. Why? Because of a heart of contentment to be a part of what God was doing. Because, listen, God had been up to something for thousands of years. And they got caught up in it. And they had no idea at the time but their role in it played this pivotal shifting point to salvation history where God moved from within a temple and sitting on top of an ark to taking on human flesh that would end up dead on a cross so that he could live in you and me. That's a big pivot point, wouldn't you say? 
And it was a heart of contentment that allowed that to happen. But that's not only part of the Christmas story that teaches us about contentment. It takes a lot of contentment for you to be God, to have all the glory of the universe at your disposal, to be worshipped by everything you have created, to be worthy of any worship, any praise, any honor, any treasure, to be worthy of all of that, and to choose, as Philippians 2 says, this very letter we just read, that he chose to set it aside and become a servant, to be born to a poor carpenter and a poor woman on the backside of the desert in a stable filled with hay instead of a silk crib and a golden cradle. That is a heart of contentment, isn't it? A heart that is willing to endure anything to see his purposes accomplished in the world. The greatest example of contentment was always Jesus. It wasn't just being born in a cradle. It was the 30 years of walking on this dirt, walking among people like us, most of whom didn't want anything to do with him. And when they did want to do something with him and they followed him, they misunderstood almost everything he said. I mean, even when he taught them, they were like, yeah, we get it. They just turn right around. They don't get it. One says, you're the son of God. There's no one like you. And the very next breath says, don't do what you came here to do. Literally in the next breath. That's a life and a heart of contentment modeled for us. And I want to say this. If a heart of contentment was critical to this Christmas story, I want to say something to you. It's going to be critical to yours too. It's going to be critical to yours too. Because as we've said again and again the last couple of weeks, God wants more from you on this Christmas than just attending parties and giving gifts. He wants you to be a witness to this world. He wants your life to be different. Just like the stars shone in the darkness, He wants your light to shine bright among the people that you meet. And one of the things that will draw that contrast very sharply is a life of contentment. The ability to move in and out of difficult situations, the beginning, the ability to receive or not to receive, the ability to give, the ability to wait in a long line, the, the ability to ring a bell, the ability to wrap presents, the ability to be up late so you can serve people, be present with people, have long conversations. Some of the best conversations I have are at family gatherings like this where we end up at 10 and 10.30 and 11 o'clock at night because it's the only chance we get to catch up. Jesus wants to use you in those conversations. He wants to use you. But it's going to take a heart of contentment to draw that contrast. But the Holy Spirit in you can absolutely create that in you. So how do we get there? I just want to point out four things, four realities of contentment that we got to grasp if we want to have that heart of contentment during this holiday season. The first is this. Contentment springs from a deep trust in the Lord. Where does contentment come from? It comes from a deep trust in the Lord. I don't think that Mary learned to trust Jesus. That's messing up my trinity there a little bit. I don't think that Mary learned to trust the Lord when Gabriel showed up to tell her about Jesus. 
I believe she was already a woman who trusted the Lord. I believe she was already a woman who trusted the Lord. Contentment comes from a deep trust in the Lord. How could Paul be content in house arrest in Rome, away from the people he loved? I would feel like my ministry is being hindered. He didn't feel that. He saw it as being expanded. He saw it as God doing new and fresh things. How could he have that heart? This was a man who was beaten. This is a man who had lost everything. He lost friends. He lost uh, all, his, all his notoriety. He lost everything to follow Jesus. How could he be content? Here's why. Because he came to know Jesus and all of those things. So when he was shipwrecked, it was Jesus that spoke into him and encouraged him. He, he sent angels to him to minister to him and encourage him. He had men and women who Jesus spoke through to encourage him, gave prophetic words to encourage him. Paul came to know Jesus, and Jesus had appeared to him on the road to Damascus. I mean, he was a dead, blind sinner who was persecuting the church. Jesus changed everything. He knew Jesus. He loved Jesus. Relationship with Jesus allowed him to be content with what Jesus was doing around him and through him. It allowed him to be content. It'll do the same for you. Contentment springs from relationship with Jesus, trusting Jesus. If we're struggling with contentment, here's the place to start. Don't work at being more content. Work at knowing Jesus more. Like, work at knowing Jesus more. Get more into the Word. Get more into prayer. Be more around people who know Jesus because what will spring out of you is contentment. It will spring out of you. Number two, second reality of contentment is this. Contentment is not our natural state of being. It must be learned. Amen? Contentment is not your natural state of being. I'll prove it to you. Take your three-year-old child, give them one double-stuffed Oreo, and see if they're satisfied. Of course not. What else do they want? Their second double-stuffed Oreo. In fact, they want the third and the fourth until they barf it up, right? You know why? We're not born to be content. That's not our natural state. That's not how we come into the world. We're wanting more and more and more, and it only builds because our culture teaches us go after more and more and more. And then we go through holidays like this where it's just accelerated and accelerated more and more. This isn't our natural state. It has to be learned. It has to be learned. Jesus wants to put you through some classrooms to teach you contentment. You ready? I want to say something to you. He puts you in contentment 101 until you pass. And then he puts you in contentment 102. And then contentment 103. Until you work up to contentment 501. And you got your graduate degree in contentment like Paul. And some of you are just at a 101. And that's okay. And I don't know what your 101 is. But it's going to be something simple. I promise you. Here's something simple for me. Just this week. Um, I run three or four times a week. Um, because of my schedule, I have to run in the mornings, and it's always dark. And um, I try to be really safe when I run, because we've had in, in our group in some different cities like Columbia and Lexington, we've had some people that will be out running in the morning and get by, hit by cars. We've had three different people that have been killed over the last couple of years running with groups early in the morning. I can't imagine, like, leaving at 530 and not coming back. I can't, I can't imagine that. 
So I take precautions. I have this, uh, this um, chest light that I bought off of Amazon for 10 bucks. It's been the best thing I've ever spent 10 bucks on. It recharges, and at night, I look like Iron Man. I've got like the little chest light right here. It's got a chest light up here, and on the back, it's got a little red light, I think. I, I hadn't seen it because I'm always looking forward, but people tell me there's a red light back there. I also had this glow vest that had these, um, I don't know what you call them, but they're little uh, plastic uh, things. They're not reflectors because they shoot uh, electricity through it. Um, what are those little cables called? Fiber optics. There you go. That's why you came this morning, Jan. Thank you. It has little fiber optics on it, and it shoots rainbow colors and flashes and everything. And I would wear my vest. I'd have my little Iron Man thing. Well, my, my little rainbow vest died on me, and now it doesn't work. Well, the company that sells the rainbow vest just wanted me to know over the Christmas season. They just wanted me to know uh, that they're still selling rainbow vests. And so they've sent me literally an email every single day for the last two weeks. No exaggeration, every single day. And they just want me to know this is the best price of the entire year. Matt, just wanted you to know. This last week, the emails have accelerated. They've gotten funnier and funnier. A little bit more threatening, but I think funnier. It will never be cheaper than right now. The one yesterday said, the price is about to go up. This morning it said, this is the last day. And I'm thinking, is this going to be the last day you send me this email? Or is this going to... It's accelerating. And here's the thing. I, I've debated whether or not to get this vest. And I said, you know what? This is enough. This is enough for me. This little Iron Man thing. That's enough. And I was like, I'm not going to spend... I'm not going to spend money on getting another vest. And then... But you know what? After the 14th email, I was sitting down on Friday morning. I was like, you know what? Maybe I need that vest after all. In fact... That price is going to go up any day. This is, this is the lowest this price is going to be this whole year. And then I started thinking, listen, that price could go up at any moment. I better go ahead and act. And so I, I'm ready, man. I'm, re I got, I'm opening the email. I'm ready to the website. And I'm like, what am I doing? I decided I'm not going to do this. Why? Because it's an assault on my contentment. It's an assault on my contentment. Like, I got in a place where I said, this is enough. Which, by the way, here's the best question you can answer for yourself, for your family, or for your kids. Here's the best question. It'll change everything. How much is enough? How much is enough? How many, how many vacations are enough? How many trips to Taco Bell are enough? How many My Little Pony... Uh, baby sea ponies are enough how many are enough because if you don't answer enough you'll never get to content are you there and you have to answer enough before you get to enough you have to define enough before you get to enough and then you can learn contentment that email just assaulted my contentment that was my 101 i don't know what your 101 is i hope i'm in 102 now Whatever your 101 is going to be this way. Listen, this week, I challenge you. You have to learn contentment. It's not just going to happen. You have to be faced with an opportunity to not be content. And you have to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, not because you're awesome or strong or self-controlled, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have to learn to say, this is enough. 
and God will take you to the next thing. So maybe your 201 is when you're in your 20s and everyone around you is dating someone and when people start putting rings on fingers and you start saying to yourself, maybe I need to be dating someone too. Maybe there's something wrong with me because I'm not engaged. Maybe your 201 is learning to find your identity in Jesus so that you don't find it in a girl or a guy because I'll tell you this, the most dangerous thing you can do in life is find your identity in somebody else. If you don't find it in Jesus, sooner or later that person is going to exploit you even if they're the best person on the face of the planet. If you find your identity in them, they will exploit you. They'll exploit you. Some on purpose and some by accident. Or in contentment. Maybe your 301 is this. I've been at this company for 16 years. It's been going good. But now I have this other opportunity. You know, I look at it, and uh, it's more money. It's, it's more prestige. It's a climb up the ladder. It's that respect I've been looking for. I mean, it, it is going to add about another 15 hours to my work week, but, you know, I've been waiting on this. I mean, I, I know the kids are... They're 7, 9, and 12. And I know it's going to take some more time away from them. But you know what? I've been waiting on this. I've been waiting. I mean, 16 years, the opportunity hadn't come along like this. And we have to say to ourselves, Jesus, is this what you want? Because I'll tell you, every good opportunity that comes your way is not from Jesus. Satan can bring lots of great opportunities your way. He, He can. Because he would much rather you be about what is good in your life than what is best and i'm telling you this some of you have learned this and i know because i've talked to you i've heard your testimony some of you have learned ten thousand dollars less a year so that you can have 10 hours of your life back a week is worth it it's worth it and so we're having to say jesus this opportunity has come our way is it worth it i want to speak to you some of you young people listen to me um it, it is it is a trait of your generation. I can't decide if it's good or bad, I'll be completely honest, but it's a trait of your generation now to hop jobs very quickly. Like as soon as an opportunity comes your way, a little bit more money or whatever else it is, listen, I would just say this to you. Make sure you're hearing from Jesus. Make sure you're hearing from Jesus because you can be hopping into the right opportunity for another 5000 a year and it will crush your walk and it will cripple your life. Learn, learn contentment with what God's given you and what he's done. If he says move, move, and listen to me. Jesus has often said to me, move, and very quickly. So I'm not telling you a quick opportunity is a bad thing. Jesus can be in it, but you've got to make sure Jesus is in it. That's the point. Make sure Jesus is in it. Number three, third reality of contentment is this. God himself must supernaturally empower us for contentment for it to be possible. I do not want you to walk out of your hearing your pastor say to you, be more content in your own power. Your own power is what got you to a lack of contentment. If the Holy Spirit does not move in you, then you will be eaten up with opportunity. The Holy Spirit has to work in your heart to teach you contentment. The starting point is to say, Holy Spirit, I am not naturally content i need you to teach me contentment please speak into my life please empower me to honor you in this opportunity and last but not least the fourth reality of contentment is this a contented heart 
is a sharp contrast to the spirit of our age. Contentment is a sharp contrast to the spirit of our age. How would our economy go if we had a nation full of content people? Overnight. It's a sharp contrast to the spirit of our age. Not only that, but that contrast creates a powerful witness. Young people, you looking for the white woman to marry? Find a woman who is confident in Jesus, who is confident in God's plan for her life, and who does not need you, who just wants you, wants you for who you are, but doesn't need you. Uh, young men, what did I just say? That was women. Young ladies, go find a man who doesn't wrap up his entire life in you, but wraps up his entire life in Jesus. Who runs so fast and so far with Jesus that you have to run up and you have to increase your walk with Jesus or you will never keep up with him. Wait on that man. Be content now. Wait on that man. That's a huge contrast to our culture. Older generation, find ways to plug into the kingdom of God that are different than the way you've always plugged into the kingdom of God. Maybe your mind isn't as sharp, your body isn't as sharp. That doesn't mean that Jesus is through with you. Be content in this stage in life and ask Jesus, what is the new next thing you have for me? I will join you in it. I will do it. Stop chasing our retirement dreams and start chasing Jesus' plans for us. Jesus' plans for us. What a stark contrast to our culture. I want this Christmas for us to be that sharp contrast. Contentment is the key to that. So I want to end just like this. I just want to pray over you as your pastor. And I want us to sing a song. I don't even want us to stand. I just want to pray over you as your pastor. And I just want to ask the Holy Spirit of God to fall on us, to teach us contentment. And then we can go. But I just feel the need to pray over us today. So would you just ask the Holy Spirit in your heart to fill you, and would you just pray in your spirit with me? Lord Jesus, there is no way that any of us are going to develop a contented heart unless the Spirit of God blows in our spirit now. We're going to pursue our own way. We're going to pursue what is dangled in front of us day in and day out. And we're going to keep filling our bellies and our bodies with everything that we think will make us happy until we find ourselves more empty than we've ever been. But when you move, Jesus, when you create a passion when you create a vision, and when you guard it with contentment, powerful things happen in the kingdom. Real life change happens in our world, and especially in us and in our families. That is what we would ask from you, Holy Spirit. We want to be different. We want to be more like you. We want to navigate this season with a contentedness 
We want to treasure the smallest gift given with a real heart. We want to express our gratitude and love to people around us. We want to give instead of constantly having to receive. We want to be contented. Holy Spirit, come fall on us now and change our hearts. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the testimonies we're going to hear out of this. Thank you how we've been changed already this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.